it's all about food. In Luke's Gospel, you eat your way into the kingdom of God. Welcome back to the Center for Spiritual Renewal podcast and our five-part series entitled Four Gospels, Many Resurrections. Today, Dr. Harry Meyer of the Vancouver School of Theology guides us through the Gospel according to Luke. He presents us six rules of eating in God's kingdom as the resurrected Jesus comes to feed us with the best food out there. We are kingdom gastronomers. Please enjoy and be encouraged by this message of new life. Well, uh, welcome back for our third session on the Gospel of Luke, for Gospels, Many Resurrections. We're going to be looking particularly at Luke 24, 1 to 53, and the talk this evening is called In the Breaking of Bread. And below, uh, you can see the painting by Caravaggio, which is uh, the Supper at Emmaus, painted in 1601. And this is a moment when Jesus, uh, in Luke's Gospel, has just broken bread, and he's been unseen by the disciples. The disciples haven't recognized him, the travelers on the Emmaus Road. And uh, they've been telling him about the things that have happened. And then he tells them about the meaning of the things that have happened. And then he breaks bread. And then their eyes are opened and they see him in the breaking of the bread. So there are so many things that we could talk about, about Luke's gospel. And there are many, many facets of resurrection in Luke's gospel. But uh, the one that I'm going to talk about tonight is the one about eating because uh, just about everything that is important in Luke's gospel happens when somebody is uh, eating, as we're going to see. So if you like to eat, and I know you probably do because you probably have church potlucks, then Luke, Luke is the guy who would have Jesus at a potluck, most certainly. So eating is really wonderful uh, theme in, in Luke's gospel. So firstly, I want to just uh, talk about some historical backdrop to Luke's gospel. Luke was composed as Luke Acts. By the way, we don't know who the author of Luke Acts was. The name Luke was fastened onto the third gospel at a later date, but uh, it's come to us as the gospel of Luke. And it was composed to begin with as a two-part work, Luke Acts, the book of Acts, but Acts was uh, separated from Luke because the four Gospels were circulating uh, separately, and then they were canonized as the four Gospels. So you had Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. But Luke and Acts are very much meant to be read together, and I'm not going to be talking much about the book of Acts tonight, though I will be talking a little bit about it. But many of the themes that we see introduced in the Gospel of Luke are picked up in uh, the uh, book of Acts. Luke-Acts was written probably between 90 and 130 CE. I think it was probably written fairly close to 130 CE. I'm a kind of a late dater of Luke-Acts. And I think it was probably written in Western Asia Minor or perhaps Ephesus, if you've been to Ephesus, which is in modern Turkey. The reason why we think that is because of the way the book of Acts is really situated around Ephesus, uh, if you read the book of Acts. Luke-Acts was written for a diverse audience of people of various socioeconomic uh, makeup, 
namely really very, very poor people. And then I would say some people who had moderate income. And when I say moderate income, I say probably people that may have lived about 10 levels above subsistence. So there's no middle class in the ancient world. There's really uh, wealthy people and there's poor people and there's really not a middle class as, as, as we would know it. So when we're talking about people of higher socioeconomic status, we need to qualify that. That doesn't mean that they were like middle class people like us or several of us who are here. And the, and the audience was made up of Jews and non-Jews or uh, Gentiles. The non-Jews in Luke's uh, audience were people called God-fearers. <clears throat> a God-fearer is a uh, technical term that was used in the ancient world to describe non-Jews who were sympathetic to Judaism, say would go to synagogue and so on, but they were not willing to become fully Jewish. In other words, they were not willing to be circumcised if they're men, and they weren't willing to keep dietary regulations. So God-fearers then would be people who are Gentiles, who are interested in worshiping the God of Israel without becoming full Jews. And these people who are worshiping the God of Israel, they may have been also worshiping other gods alongside the God of Israel. So maybe they went to the synagogue on Friday and they were involved in other Greek and Roman religion on other days. Eating is central in Luke Acts because it was a way of celebrating that God had brought Jews and non-Jews together, and that God had kept God's promises to Israel as, as a, being a favored nation. So eating was one of the ways then that these early Jesus believers celebrated that God had broken down ethnic boundaries between Jews and non-Jews, and it incorporated them into a new reality, and that this was for these early Jesus believers, the testament that what God had done in Jesus of Nazareth was or was establishing the worship of the God of Israel across the world. So that's uh, some uh, historical uh, backdrop. Oh, yes, uh, eating is uh, central in, in, in Luke Acts, and if you read the book of Acts, Acts chapters 10 to 11 and chapter 15, deal exclusively with what you can eat and with whom you can eat it. So uh, we're not going to be able to talk about the book of Acts uh, chapters 10 and 11, 15 tonight. I only say this just to indicate that the theme of eating continues through the book, uh, gospel of Luke and into the uh, book of Acts. So we've got four different resurrection stories, as it were. What I'm going to describe is four different resurrection stories and uh, this is uh, the uh, first one, uh, Luke 23, verses 50 through to chapter 24, verse 12. And here we have the story of Joseph of Arimathea. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the Council of Good and Righteous Men. You will perhaps remember that the Gospel of John also has Joseph of Arimathea in it, who had not consented to their purpose indeed, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in a rock-hewn tomb where no one had ever been laid. It was a day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. 
On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and all to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. Now, what I've done here is I have placed the uh, Lucan account of the women finding Jesus at the tomb with Mark's account and the red between the two columns are places where Luke and Mark either agree word for word with each other or have very similar words to each other. The blue under the Luke column in the Luke column indicates material that is in Luke but is not present in Mark and the black print represents material that is in Mark and not present in Luke. So you can see that what we have in common here is uh, we have in common the idea that women come to the tomb, uh, Mary and Mary, the mother of James in Mark and in Luke in verse 10 down at the bottom, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and then in addition, Joanna and the other women with whom, with whom uh, them, with them who told this to the apostles. Now you remember that in Mark's gospel, what happens is that uh, verse eight, Mark 16, verse eight, they're told to go and tell the disciples, right? But they go away. They fled from the tomb, verse eight, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And, but, uh, by contrast, in Luke's gospel, right, at verse 10, 11, now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the disciples. But these words seemed to them an idle tale that they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what happened. So this is very, very different right? If you remember last week when we were looking at the gospel of Matthew, the women go and tell the disciples, and then the disciples go to Galilee to a mountain where Jesus appears to them, right? And then you have the Great Commission, go into the world baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and so on. And that's the end of Matthew's gospel. Well, in Luke's gospel, Rather than the events moving to Galilee, all of the events around Easter happen in Jerusalem. So Peter is in Jerusalem when, he's, when, when he goes to the tomb. The women, they hear about the resurrection of Jesus uh, at, at Jerusalem. 
Uh, and now we're going to see the first Easter appearance of, of Jesus. This is just to uh, for you to look at later. This again places Mark and Matthew alongside each other. The reason why I have this slide here is I just want you to notice the red means shared material and the blue and black mean not shared material. So notice how much red is there, right? Matthew has clearly really used Mark a good deal. If we go back and look at Luke and Mark, look how little red material there is. Luke is really developing the resurrection story in a very differing way and we're going to see the significance of this uh, in uh, just a little bit. But first, before we do, let's look at the second uh, Easter story. Now, this is the story of uh, the travelers going towards a village called Emmaus. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, this motif of Jesus kind of coming incognito and these two travelers not recognizing Jesus, this creates a very uh, interesting play for us because of course, we know what's going on but they don't know what's going on. And there is an element of comedy here. If you know uh, your William Shakespeare, you know Shakespearean comedies, you know that Shakespearean comedies are also, are often built around uh, people who are dressed up in different costume and they don't recognize each other and uh, a sort of a comedy of errors unfolds. Well, I think that what Luke is doing here is by having us seeing what's going on, but the travelers not seeing what's going on, this introduces an element of playfulness to this story, and it helps to magnify the joy of the story, because what everybody is waiting for is for the penny to drop and for them to recognize Jesus. So their eyes were kept from recognizing, and he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along the way? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? And he asked them, what things? So there is an example of irony. They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, this is probably one of the most poignant lines in this gospel, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Now, earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus has said he's going to rise on the third day. So here you go like more kind of waiting for the penny to drop. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. 
Then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. So uh, little do they know that they have a uh, Bible geek traveling alongside them. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going along, going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. Notice, back to Jerusalem, not to Galilee, back to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had made known to, been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is going to be our theme, that he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. So here, he took bread, blessed, broke, and gave it. These are the Eucharistic actions. Um, say when we receive the Eucharist, right? The minister priest says, on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, right? Take, bless, break, give. These sort of a formulaic uh, sentence uh, here. Now, Easter 3 happens. Meantime, back at the ranch, while they, namely the disciples and Cleopas and Cleopas's companion, who, by the way, was not, was not necessarily a guy, might have been a woman, while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? Why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See, it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Of course, his hands and his feet are, are um, wounded. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. So here we have the raised Jesus say, appearing to them, right? Peace be with you. And then saying, you know, of course it's me, look at me, touch me, right? I'm not a ghost, right? You can touch me. And by the way, it's been three days in the tomb and I'm feeling a little bit hungry. Have you got anything here to eat? And so then he eats a piece of broiled fish. So the raised Jesus has been breaking bread with the Emmaus Road disciples, and now he is going to eat fish in the presence of the other disciples. So that's Easter 3. Now comes Easter 4. Then he said to them, still in the upper room, 
these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, just kind of as he did on the Emmaus Road. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And this again, in with the Emmaus disciples, he said that the Messiah must suffer. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in the same to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high, which, of course, is a reference now to Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost. Right. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. Notice, nobody's gone to Galilee here. There's been no talk of Galilee here. Everything is around Jerusalem. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. And so the Gospel of Luke comes to an end. But at the beginning of the book of Acts, we have a replay of what we just read in Luke chapter 24, 44 to verse 50 in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. And uh, what I've done here is I've uh, put things in blue and in red, as well as in block print, where you have word-for-word -word agreement between what we have in Luke 24, 44 to 53, and Acts chapter 1, verse 6. And so when they had come together, they asked him, so Acts chapter 1, verse 6, so Luke chapter 24, verse 50, Jesus has just been carried away into heaven, but now in Acts chapter 1, suddenly they're together with him again, right? So I think this is a very, this is a different resurrection story, really. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, namely in Acts chapter 2, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, now he's lifted up again. And a cloud took them out of their sight. Wow, we just saw that in Luke 24, but now in Acts chapter 1, it's happening all over again. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, people of Galilee, because I think there are probably men and women here, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So, here we have a kind of, I think, a fairly clumsy repetition in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, repeating what we just saw in Luke chapter 24, verse 50. So there's a kind of a clumsy uh, continuation there. Okay. So our two eating texts that I'm wanting to look at are uh, Luke chapter 24, when he was at table at them. With them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And Luke chapter 24, verse 40, 
And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering. He said to them, have you got anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. So this material only appears in Luke. This reference to the raised Jesus eating. And this is very, very important for our understanding of Luke's gospel and how Luke wants to tell us about Easter and how the raised Jesus comes to be with us. Because in Luke's gospel, we might say the, re the raised Jesus comes to be with us and to eat with us. This continues in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 12, after Jesus' ascension, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. Now, the upper room, Luke 22, is where Jesus celebrated the Last Supper, and specifically Luke 22 says he celebrated the Last Supper with them in the upper room. So I think here we have a reminder of eating. Then Luke chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So this is after Peter's preaching, after uh, Pentecost. So those who received his, namely Peter's word or preaching, were baptized. And there, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. In other words, 3,000 people now are getting together and eating, breaking bread with each other. Then Acts chapter 2, verse 43, where uh, the believers hold everything in common, verse 44, verse 45, they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as anyone had need. And then verse 46, and day by day, attending in the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they partook of food with glad and generous hearts. So eating, eating, eating. What do you do after Easter? You have Easter dinner. You eat with each other. So I want to now talk about food in Luke's gospel. So what I've done is I, and I will um, in the material that will be sent uh, to you tomorrow or in the next couple of days, I have uh, created a compendium of all of the passages in Luke's gospel that in one way or another refer to food or eating. And basically what I did is I did a word search of the various terms associated with eating in Luke's gospel and then compared the frequency of those terms in the other gospels. So on the top, you have all the words that are in Luke's gospel associated with eating, hungry, hunger, eat, food, feed, bread, fish, loaves, dinner, banquet, feast, supper, invite, table, breaking, broke, bread, gave, give, invite. And then I looked at, because I am so dedicated to giving you such a rich educational experience, I then decided that what I would do is I would look at the frequency of these terms as they appear in the three Gospels, Luke, Matthew, and Mark. Notice, in Luke's Gospel, these words appear 93 times in Luke's Gospel. 
In Matthew's gospel, they appear 32 times, and in Mark's gospel, they appear 21 times. So even accounting for the fact that uh, Luke's gospel is uh, eight chapters longer than Mark, even so, there are far more eating passages. Luke and Matthew are roughly the same length, and you can see here that there are three times more references to eating in Luke's gospel than in Matthew. So, what can we adduce from this? Well, the first thing that we can say is this. The Easter Jesus is no incorporeal spirit. This is not Casper the Friendly Ghost here. The raised Jesus eats and drinks with his disciples, however wondrous and extraordinary that may seem. It is when the raised Jesus eats with the disciples that the disciples recognize him. The disciples or the followers of Jesus celebrate his presence by eating together. In Luke's gospel, we might say, given the 93 occurrences of eating or similar terms in the gospel, in Luke's gospel, you eat your way into the kingdom of God. So if you have a healthy appetite, Luke's gospel is for you. No dieting allowed in Luke's gospel, no calorie counting. The more you eat in Luke's gospel, the better. Everything important in Luke's gospel has food attached to it. Here's some themes. Mary's Magnificat, which we're going to look at in just a moment, the Beatitudes, which we'll see in a moment, and then central parables, the parable of the prodigal son, the fatted calf, the great supper, right? Somebody holds a great feast and invites people and they don't come, and then he insists that other people be invited, namely the poor, the maimed, the blind. Lazarus and the rich man, Lazarus who sits at the rich man's door begging for crumbs that will fall from his table, and, of course, Easter. So what I want to do now is I want to give you a bit of a handbook for eating in Luke's gospel. This is called Luke's ABCs of Resurrection Eating, or How to Become an Easter Gastronome. And in case you don't know what a gastronome is, in Webster's, a gastronome is a lover of good food, especially one with a serious interest in gastronomy. So if you are a Lucan disciple, you have a very, very serious interest in gastronomy. You are going to be a Lucan Easter gastronome. Very exciting word, gastronome. So Luke's ABCs of resurrection eating. Number one, be hungry. So here are some passages about hunger in Luke's gospel. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent empty away. This is Mary's Magnificat, right? Luke chapter 621. Blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Woe to you that are full now, for you shall hunger. The Lord's Prayer in Luke. Give us each day our daily bread. The prodigal son. After he gets his father's inheritance, his share of the inheritance, and he goes into a far country. And when he has spent everything, a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country, 
who sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have fed on the paws that the swine ate. Notice the food here. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he says, notice, I am hungry. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish here with hunger. And then we have the story of Lazarus and the rich person, Luke 16. There was a rich person who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man, lay Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. The important references to food have to do with being hungry in Luke's gospel. So number one ABC of resurrection eating, come with your hunger. Number two, prepare for new company. In these eating stories in Luke's gospel, we find time and time again, Jesus eating with unsavory characters. He calls Levi the tax collector who leaves everything to follow Jesus. And the first thing that Levi, Levi does is he makes a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others eating together. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured against his disciples saying, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Prepare to eat with tax collectors and sinners. In Luke chapter seven, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. And of course, they complain that does he not know who this woman is, right? Luke 14. This is uh, the from the parable of the great banquet, right? A man holds a banquet and he invites his friends and they make an excuse. I bought a field. I bought some oxen. I just got married, right? Uh, sorry, that, that's coming in the next passage. Um, I just, I'll go to this passage first. Luke 14, 21. So that's the parable of the great supper. So then um, the, the uh, person who holds the banquet in his anger, he says, uh, uh, so the servant came and reported these excuses to his master. Then the householder in his anger said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and maimed and blind and lame. Luke 14, uh, verse 12 now, the passage just above. Uh, Jesus said uh, to the man who invited him over for dinner, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your kinsfolk or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot be because they cannot repay you. So, Rule number two of the ABCs of Luke and resurrection eating, prepare for new company. Ask yourself, guess who's coming for dinner? Number three, prepare to eat with people that you don't like. Originally, I had this uh, 
prepared to eat with people who wear MAGA hats, make American great again hats. But then I realized maybe that's not the best thing to put there because maybe some of you want to make America great again. Be prepared to eat with people you don't like. Jesus in Luke's gospel eats with Pharisees, right? Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table, right? Luke eleven thirty seven. While he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat at table, right? Uh, Jesus is not picky about his company. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and rich. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Or to put it slightly differently, Zacchaeus, hurry on down. I'm eating at your house tonight. Number four. Expect to learn new rules of etiquette. So this is the preaching of John the Baptist um, when he tells the crowds in Luke chapter 3 to repent and be baptized. And the people say, uh, and then he accuses them of hypocrisy. And then the crowd say, what then shall we do? And John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3 says, he who has two coats, let him share with him who has none, and those who have food, let them do likewise, right? New rules of etiquette, share your food. Luke chapter 7, come to the table and expect to be forgiven. Then those who are at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then Luke chapter 12, verse 37, which is highly paradoxical. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. So here we have a kind of a story of the uh, Jesus as a bridegroom who's coming for the wedding feast. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will gird himself and have them sit at table, and he will come and serve them. Now that is very, very paradoxical, right? Because the servants are the ones who serve the master. But here, the master girds himself, has them sit at the table, and he comes and serves them. So the entire hierarchy of feeding etiquette is turned on its head, right? In the ancient world, when you had a banquet, slaves serve the guests, right? That was their job. The master, the idea of a master or the host gathering up the food and serving it to the guests would be a humiliation for the host of the banquet. But here, the host of the banquet girds himself and serves them. Now, there's a parallel with the girding himself, 
because that's the exact language that we find in John's gospel when Jesus is with the disciples on his last supper, where he girds himself to wash the disciples' feet. And then he says, right, those, he then says that he has come to serve, right, not to lord over, but to serve. So we have something very similar going on in John's gospel, and we'll talk about that uh, next week. Luke 14, verse 8 When you're invited by anyone to a marriage feast, do not sit in a place of honor, lest a more eminent person than you be invited by the host. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, the host may say to you, friend, go up higher, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with. So here, don't try to get the best spot have a competition for the lowest spot. Rule number five about resurrection eating in Luke's gospel, expect to be changed. Again, John the Baptist preaching. What then shall we do? They asked him when they said they wanted to repent. He said, those who have two coats, let them share with those who have none. And those who have food, let them do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, this is namely John the Baptist, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than is appointed you. Soldiers also asked him, We, what shall we do? He said to them, Rob no one by violence or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. So give, give your food away, give your clothes away. Tax collectors who were notorious for graft, don't collect more than is owing, right? Soldiers who were notorious for violence, right? Don't rob people and be content with your wages. When Jesus calls the disciples in Luke chapter 5 who are fishing, the disciples bring their boats to the land and they left everything and followed him. If we had another couple of hours, we could talk about that little word, everything, in Luke's gospel, because again and again and again, Luke talks about people leaving everything to follow Jesus or giving everything they have away for others. They left everything and followed him. Luke chapter 7, verse 49, expect to be forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Now, in Luke's story of the Last Supper, Luke's story of the Last Supper is very different from the story of the Last Supper in Matthew and Mark. In Matthew and Mark, Jesus has the Last Supper with the disciples, and then he goes to the Mount of Olives, and then he predicts that Peter is going to deny him three times on the Mount of Olives. In other words, after dinner on the Mount of Olives. But in Luke's gospel, after Jesus celebrates the dinner with the disciples, he then predicts that Peter is going to deny him three times, and he predicts this over dinner. 
But then Jesus goes quickly on to say to Peter, but when you are restored, I will make you into a great disciple. So even before Peter goes out and denies Jesus three times, he is already forgiven, as it were, at the Last Supper. So at the table in Luke's gospel is where one finds forgiveness and welcome. And forgiveness in Luke's gospel then means amendment or change of life. My favorite change story is the story of Zacchaeus. And uh, a colleague of mine asked, what was in the dinner that made this happen? We need to get some of those uh, elements and put them into our own dinners. The story of Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief collector and rich, and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not on account of the crowd because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And I think the clear implication there is for dinner. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. The word received there usually means hosted for dinner. That's what that word usually means in Luke's gospel and in other places in the New Testament. And when they saw it, they all murmured, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a child of Abraham. For the son of man came to save, seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus eats with Jesus. And suddenly he is into reparative justice. I give half of my goods to the poor because I swindled people from their goods, right? And if I defrauded anybody, which is just about everyone, I will restore it fourfold. Prepare to eat the best food you can imagine. Number six, the last one. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. Now, this Luke chapter 13, verse 29, Jesus is talking about the coming age. People will come from east and west and north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of God. But in the book of Acts, that is exactly what happens. People come from east and west and north and south, and they gather into communities of Jesus believers. And what do they do? They sit at table and they eat. The book of Acts is already in anticipation of this. And this means also that for us, our own meals, our own Eucharistic meals, are also anticipations and expressions of sitting at table in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming in Luke's gospel, but in, the Luke, but in Luke's gospel, the kingdom of God is here. And where is it here? It is here where we gather to eat together. And I'm expecting that table in the kingdom of God is uh, going to be a fairly good meal. 
Luke 14, verse 15. When one of those who sat at table with him heard him speak his teaching, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Right. In other words, blessed are all of us right now who are eating together the bread of the kingdom of God. Right. We will eat bread in the kingdom of God. We are eating bread in the kingdom of God. And when you ask, well, what are we going to be eating in the kingdom of God? The parable of the prodigal son is the great expression of that. We heard about the, par the, the prodigal son who takes his father's inheritance and he squanders it. And then he is hungry. And then he says it would be better to eat pig swine sorry, he's eating uh, swine food, and then he says it'd be better to be a slave in my father's house than to be sitting around here eating the food that is feed, fed to swine. So I'm going to go back to my dad's house, right? And so then in the parable of the prodigal son, Luke says that when the father saw him a long way off, really beautifully, Luke has Jesus say, when the father saw him a long way off, he ran out to greet him, right? And he puts a robe on him and he puts his ring on him. And then he says to the servants, go and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and make merry. For my son was lost and is now found. He was dead and is now alive. It's the best food that the prodigal son gets. The best food. The best food. And then Luke chapter 22, 30, where Jesus promises disciples, you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. So for an ancient listener, hearing these words, they would think of a sumptuous feast in a palace. So when you're eating with Jesus, expect to eat the best food you can imagine. Here I have the structure of Luke's gospel with the book of Acts. So the line with the little plates under it, that is the chapter 1 to chapter 24 of Luke's gospel. And the journey, again, as in Matthew and Mark, is from Jesus' baptism, the little dove there on the left, to the cross, to Jerusalem. And all those little plates there, are the many, many, many references, over 90 eating references. I don't didn't have space to put 90 little plates and knives and forks down there, but use your imagination, 90 of them. Mary's Magnificat has got a big plate because that's very important, where Mary says at the very start of the gospel almost, right, he has he is uh, fed the hungry with good things. The full he has sent empty away. He fills the empty with good things, fills the hungry with good things. The Last Supper, which 
is a central meal, of course, in Luke's gospel. Then the resurrection appearance, Emmaus and the upper room. And then I would add to that also the Jesus asking for something to eat. And then when we go into the book of Acts, actually at the end of the gospel of Luke, Jesus commissions the disciples to preach the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, right? So what happens in the book of Acts is Pentecost happens, so they get filled with the Spirit, and then they go out from Jerusalem, and the whole story from Acts chapter 1 onward is an expansion story where the geography gets ever wider, right? So you start with Jerusalem, then you go to Judea, then the disciples end up in Samaria. Then you got Paul who comes along, and then Paul goes with Barnabas and others and preaches the gospel all the way to Rome, which is where the book of Acts ends. And at each interval of the book of Acts, you have eating. So each of those um, rounded uh, lines there indicate an expanded territory from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And in each case in the book of Acts, there is always reference to eating. So you've got food from the very start of Luke's gospel right the way through to the end of the book of Acts. It's all about food. In Luke's gospel, you eat your way into the kingdom of God. So Luke's gospel invites us to resurrection by teaching us where, what, with whom, and how to eat. It, all asks, uh, it also asks us, why do we eat? It answers, because Christ is risen past the bread. The resurrection comes in the breaking of bread together. In Luke's gospel, the Easter Jesus reveals himself over a meal to travelers on the Emmaus road, leaving Jerusalem after the crucifixion. They don't recognize their companion until he is at table with them. He takes bread, breaks it, blesses it, and gives it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, Luke 24, 31. When Jesus appears to the remaining disciples a little bit later, the first thing he does is ask them for something to eat. Have you got some fish, he says? Everything important in Luke's gospel happens around a meal. Luke's gospel, we might say, is a lesson in table etiquette. Not the kind of etiquette that teaches you not to slurp your soup, but the kind that tells you whom to eat with and what to talk about over dinner. Who is at table when we decide to eat dinner with Jesus? Tax collectors, sinners, the poor who beg for crumbs at the doors of the rich, extortionists, lepers, and demoniacs, and yes, even Pharisees. What do we talk about? Being on the way with Jesus. Whoever we are and wherever we find ourselves, Luke's Easter Jesus invites us to his table to eat with him. In doing so, 
He asks us to consider what we hunger for and what we consume to fill our hunger. In his book, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, Close Encounters with Addiction, Vancouver psychiatrist and specialist in addiction recovery, Gabor Mate, uses the Buddhist image of the hungry ghost to describe the human condition. He writes, the inhabitants of the hungry ghost realm are depicted as creatures with scrawny necks, small mouths, emaciated limbs, and large, bloated, empty bellies. This is the domain of addiction, where we constantly seek something outside of ourselves to curb an insatiable yearning for relief or fulfillment. The aching emptiness is perpetual because the substances, objects, or pursuits we hope will soothe it are not what we really need. We don't know what we need. And so long as we stay in the hungry ghost mode, we'll never know. We haunt our lives without being fully present. Luke's raised Jesus asks us to bring our hungry ghosts to the dinner he serves to fill us and make us whole, and then to live resurrection amidst the hungry ghosts of our world. So there where he's talking about, uh, Gabor Mati makes a very, very strong point um, that rather than othering peoples with addiction, right, as people out there who are different from us, we should rather see that we are all in differing ways in the realm of hungry ghosts, which is to say that you can try to fill your insatiable hunger with BMWs or with uh, trying to stay perpetually young or trying to get rich or what, or to stave off the inevitable, the inevitability of death, right? But they're all hungry ghosts then that consume us, right? And the hungry ghost asks us then, what then will really give us life? What then will truly feed us and bring us wholeness? And Luke's gospel says, it starts with eating with Jesus. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Next time, Dr. Meyer will take us on a journey through the gospel according to John. The peace of God be with you all.